Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, I'm going to start this afternoon's session with a panel. Uh, we uh, One of the really nice things about opening this up to attendance beyond just Free Software Foundation associate members is that we've been able to bring in a lot of people from all around the world. And we'd like to have this panel focus on, on some of the issues and talk about some of the issues that arise with free software activism around the globe under the theme of Libra Planet. So let me introduce our panelists that we have. Uh, Brian Goff is the founder of Network Theory LTD, which publishes free software manuals. Uh, he's also a GNU maintainer, maintains the GNU Scientific Library, and has been helping to organize the GNU Hackers Meetings, which have been a, a great uh, event that's happened in the last couple of years in the GNU projects. Uh, Ryan Magueros is from San Francisco and has been a free software activist and organizer, um, especially with activities in Latin America and especially Brazil. And he owns the owns company, right, North by South. And Bradley Kuhn from the Software Freedom Conservancy and Software Freedom Law Center, also previous executive director of the Free Software Foundation uh, and a new contributor and longtime activist helped me get started in free software too. So please welcome our panelists and we'll let them take it away. Um, uh, okay, so um, I'm always really eager to talk to free software advocates uh, from North America and Europe about uh, wh what's been going on past past decade, really, in Latin America, because um, I find that a lot of people, even people who are really involved in free software advocacy, don't understand the extent and the scope of what's happening in Latin America and how it can be used as a... Uh, uh, used use for experience uh, and used for ideas uh, and, and basically exporting um, wh what's happened in Latin America to other parts of the world because um, when people find out about the, the real extent of what's happening in Latin America with free software um, uh, it, it's really beyond your wildest dreams uh, and, and uh, uh, so to get into that um, uh, Half a decade ago, um, President Lula da Silva of Brazil uh, issued a presidential decree mandating that all uh, government uh, uh, entities and, and state-owned firms w w were to migrate to free software, um, and that process began. Uh, um, at the same time, uh, there were a lot of progressive initiatives that began in Brazil, and all of those were based on free software, and a lot of them were meant to address the issue of the digital divide that existed all over the world, but specifically in Brazil. And so um, uh, free, uh, a lot of free software programmers and developers were recruited to participate in these programs, uh, setting up uh, computer labs that were based entirely in, uh, on free software from everywhere from the poorest parts of major metro metropolitan areas to the furthest reaches of the Amazon. Um, and th these initiatives were going on at the same time as the government agencies and state-owned firms were migrating to open source and free software, um, you know, with some, some, fail some failures along the way and, and, and a lot of successes along the way. Um, and as the Latin American, as Latin American governments have started to uh, uh, come together more um, in, in a lot of other areas, so the forming of ALBA, um, the, sort of their opposition to the, the free trade uh, areas of the America, or ALCA or FTAA, um, they've also started to come together on, on the technology policy. And so sort of what's happened in Brazil has... has uh, gone elsewhere. So Venezuela has adopted similar um, laws regarding uh, migration to free software uh, for an entirely different reason, but uh, the, the effect is the same, which is a, a, a wide popular movement that uses free software as its base. Um, uh, it's also moved to Ecuador. It's moved to Paraguay um, on a federal level where, where laws are being passed that, that mandate migration to free software and, and where incredible projects are, are being um, 
created entirely with free software. Um, and, and aside from that, in Latin America, there's just in general a strong uh, non-governmental movement uh, for, for, for free software. Um, but uh, I, I, I think we're trying to keep uh, each of our segments short. I mean, I could talk about <laughs> all the different initiatives that, have, that are going on in Latin America for a long time, but... Um, in the interest, uh, in the interest of opening up to questions, I think we're keeping it to to seven or eight minutes, and I don't know. I think I've pr probably reached that by now. But um, uh, um, I, I would urge everybody to check out research and and then uh, find out as much as they can about the the movement that's been happening in Latin America. Because the more you find out, the more amazed that you, you're, you're going to be. Um, and my experience, a lot of North American and European free software advocates aren't really familiar with, with everything that's been going on. Uh, I'm not sure of the format, but I think that we're going to each... I think we'll do all opening statements and then open questions. Yeah. yeah. I think that's what we're Okay. Is this working? Okay, good. Um, so the title of this uh, panel was uh, given as... Um, free software activism around the world. And um, I was going to talk about a specific development in Europe um, concerning the original form of free software activism, writing GNU software. Um, I'm going to talk about the GNU hackers meetings that we've been holding. Um, these are informal technical meetings for GNU maintainers and active contributors uh, typically lasting a, a few days uh, with some talks. And it, but it's not really a formal conference. It's um, just to, to have time for discussion and hacking. And the main purpose of the meetings is really for people to get to know each other and to feel part of a community. There are some projects like GCC and GNOME, which are big enough that they already have their own meetings and people can feel part of that as a community. Um, but we've never really had a place where all contributors to GNU software can come together and have their own activity. If you think about all the programs in GNU, um, a lot of them are relatively small. and not, every, not everyone works on the big programs like GCC. And people who work on a smaller package, which could be equally, or is it in its own way, essential for something, um, they can't necessarily sustain a community around that package itself. So um, the idea of the meetings is to give people like that a place to come together. Um, there aren't really many rewards for working on new software necessarily, um, but feeling part of a friendly community is one thing that we can we can offer. We've had two meetings so far. One in Spain, which was organized by GNU Spain, the Spanish chapter, and one in the UK, which I organized. And we've had people coming from across Europe to these meetings. We're planning more this year, including a week-long hackers, new hackers meeting in Sweden in November, which will be part of the uh, FSCOM's free software conference there. I'm going to give a full talk tomorrow about the meeting that I organize, where I'll report on the various uh, activities that we had and explain a lot, a lot more about the thinking behind the meetings um, and the motivation for them. There are, there are many ways to be active in promoting the idea of software freedom today. And for some of us, the best way of contributing is writing, writing free software. The GNU Hackers meetings are really about increasing communi communication and motivation among those people who want to promote software freedom by writing and working on GNU software and continuing the development of the GNU system. It's been... 25 years since the founding of the new project and there have been a lot of changes in that time um, not least that we've really achieved the goal of 
having a free operating system that's available to everyone. What I found from the, the GNU Hackers meetings is that GNU Project has a lot of strong traditions and values that um, still continue to inspire people today. And the number of people who come from all across Europe, we've had people coming from Spain, from Czech Republic, from Sweden, from France, from everywhere. Um, it really shows that there's a lot of enthusiasm to build on what we have achieved so far and continue the development of GNU, um, which is not just about writing free software, i.e. software that happens to be under a free license, but really about having the idea of having a system which embodies the idea of freedom in many different ways. And this sort of thing isn't always apparent um, when people meet up, say, at other conferences like open source conferences. Um, people don't really talk about that kind of thing. Um, but the GNU Hackers meeting is an environment where people um, can interact uh, in, a, in, a, in a safe environment uh, where they can discuss that kind of thing. Um, another reason for having meetings is that, and I'll explain more about this tomorrow, is that it's, uh, it's easy for people to lose motivation or to lose trust when all of the interaction is by, that they have is by email. If somebody who works on a project which is relatively small, it may be one of only a few people working on it. And if they, you know, you can easily imagine in that scenario that uh, it would be easy for them to lose motivation. Um, so what we're looking to, looking to do by having these meetings is to really maintain people's motivation and um, promote trust and commitment between contributors. And that's, that's really the role of the GNU, GNU Hackers meetings rather than a specific technical, technical uh, goal. Um, and that's what we're trying to do, given that we are a very, very dispersed group and it's somewhat difficult for us to meet. Um, so anybody who wants to hear more about the meeting that we had in the UK and the background behind it can come to my talk tomorrow, which is in the uh, high-priority projects track. And if there are any people in the audience who might be interested in organizing a new hackers meeting somewhere else, for example, maybe here in the US or Canada, um, come and talk to me and I can give you some practical suggestions on how to do that. So, uh, so I'm, I'm a bit daunted to be on a panel about uh, international uh, free software and software freedom activism, uh, primarily because I'm admittedly incredibly U.S.-centric in my thinking. Uh, and the most important thing I just remember about the international world is it doesn't work the same way as the U.S., but I, I tend to understand mostly only how the U.S. works, in part because I'm, I'm a little bit afraid to fly longer than seven hours or so, so I, I don't go outside the U.S. that often, as it turns out. Uh, and I've spoken some in Europe and Canada, but that's about the extent of my international travel. Uh, and the place where I think the U.S. is unique in regards to activism is we're a generally apathetic nation, honestly. Uh, we're not a nation that has done a lot of activism uh, since basically the 1960s and, and early 1970s. And, and therefore... It, it's difficult, more difficult here, I think, than other places to get people excited about a political or philosophical issue of incredible importance uh, just by talking to them and convincing them. People outside the U.S., I think, are much more willing to think, wow, there's an important political thing and maybe I should get involved with it. But there is one truism, I think, of all political activism. Uh, every movement is run by the people that show up. And people used to ask me how I ended up being the executive director of the Free Software Foundation. 
Uh, and the truly honest answer is I showed up. Uh, really, I, I showed up. And I showed up at first by following Richard Stallman around at conferences. I remember distinctly uh, at the 1997 USNICs, following him around after his talk, trying to ask him questions, following him into the bathroom. Never follow somebody famous into the bathroom. It's really rude. Um, and I'm glad, Stall- uh, I'm glad Stallman is an awkward enough person that he was not truly offended by that because he might make the same mistake that I did of following him into the bathroom talking to him about, you know, I really care about free software. And I really want to get involved. And that leads me to the other point I want to make in my opening statement here, that doing things that need to be done is incredibly important. Most people, and I think the the biggest mistake that people make uh, when they try to get involved in free software activism is they go immediately to the thing that interests them the most. And I have actually never done that. If I went to the thing that interests me the most, I probably would have ended up being a GCC contributor because I studied compilers in graduate school, and that's what I was sort of trained to do. But there was already plenty of people working on GCC and involved in compiler hacking and programming language hacking. Uh, And I would go to RMS and ask him, what is the most important thing to work on? And I ended up doing a series of incredibly boring jobs um, for RMS, like planning, like coordinating his speaking travel, which is done by the job that I created uh, at FSF, RMS Assist, which still exists. That was my first job at FSF, and within a year of being RMS assist, he decided to make me executive director, just sort of randomly one day. He said, maybe I should just put you in charge. Okay, that's what I'm going to do. (laughs) So I ended up being in charge of the FSF. Um, But even once I was in charge, my goal was always not to do what was most exciting or interesting, but to find the places in the free software space that weren't getting addressed and chase them. This is why I'm glad we still have the high-priority projects list at FSF. Those are the kinds of things that FSF's always been very good at doing, naming things that really need attention. And you know, being somebody, uh, I'm not as smart as Stallman. I'm not somebody who can immediately see, a pro- see like, the problem and the best way to address it. Uh, but I'm really good at following directions, and I'm really good at working hard on something once I believe in it. So I've always looked to my elders in the free software world and said, you know, what is the problems we need to be working on uh, the most? And tried to work on those and tried to get active about those. So that's, that's sort of my central philosophy of free software activism, is show up and work on something that looks really urgent and nobody else is working on. So I think I think now we're just gonna we're gonna try to keep this interactive and open to questions. And Jeremy was the first guy with his hand up. So can we hand hand a mic to Jeremy and get started with the questions? So I, I was really interested in in your comments about Latin America and, and how uh, active free software is there. Now, and, and you said find out about it. Well, the interesting thing is sort of living in the U.S. or whatever is you will never see that stuff. You will never see reports of successful Linux installations or whatever. It, that information is never reported, um, mainly because there's nobody sitting there funding the or spoon-feeding the press with press releases, which is how you actually get things reported in the U.S. Um, so where do we find out about that stuff? Because it would be really nice to be able to, well, whenever you get one of these sort of Microsoft-funded sort of, oh, Linux fails in Staffordshire Police Force or whatever it is, you know, which they, they love trotting out, to say, oh, uh, Linux succeeds on 300,000 desktops in Brazilian government studies that you could point people at. Uh, and the other useful thing with that is, is I've done a little bit of lobbying politicians, and governments like to talk to other governments. They don't like to talk to grubby citizens and, you know, the hoi polloi. They, they like to talk to people like them. So if, if there's you know, if you could point us at, if you could put something online where we could go to actually um, um, get this information out, that would be really helpful. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so uh, we did. <laughs> um, so we, you can uh, go to news.northxsouth.com, um, and, and whenever I do talk about it, I, I do say like I, th- I think that it's the only English language website that uh, specifically uh, addresses the free software movement in Latin America. And I think I think you're right that that. <laughs> asking you shall receive. Uh, yeah, for the most part, um, you know, when, when Brazil first moved to free software, or when there's um, uh, something really major that happens, there's there's some 
some press about it uh, in, in, in the Western media, but but for the most part, um, I think you're right that 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 it's ignored, and and, and I think that you know. Part of that too, uh, it f- falls on the North American and, and European uh, movements, in, in that, and that, and that they're not aware of what's going on, and so that they're not act- actively promoting awareness or, or, or you know, going out of their way to talk about, um, you know, you say that you know, you know, if someone says to you, you know, ah, free software, it's never really been you know, t- tested or what have you, know, as well. It's running one of you know run, running a country that's the size of the United States. You know, it's an emerging economy. You know, it, it's basically t- has t- taken over uh, an, an entire continent that that's um, they're, they're comprised of emerging uh, markets and emerging um, economies. So, um, and that's why I say that Latin America is such a such an incredible example that we could be using um, if we if we knew more about it. Somebody should run the mic for John. John had to run the mic at the first FSF membership meeting like four years ago. I showed up. He showed up and ran the mic. The problem is you get stuck doing the same thing over and over again. So maybe somebody should give John a break from running the mic. That was the joke. First of all, um, I'd like to apologize for the fact that I'm lousy with names. So if would each of you mind uh, just you know, telling me what your names are so I know who to direct the question to? I'm Brian. Ryan. And I'm Bradley. Ryan, Brian, and Bradley? Yep, sounds good. Brian, Ryan, okay. <laughs> okay, so my question... Just qu- that guy on left, right, man. <laughs> My, 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 my question is for Ryan, uh, the one in the middle. Um, you know, just a few years ago, Eric Chris, um, here in Massachusetts, uh, chief, chief technology officer for the state at the time, um, issued a directive to uh, state government that was you know, re- really not that radical. It was simply that... Um, state employees when they wanted to requisition software, not, not as it was portrayed that they had to use free software, but rather that they had to consider it as one of their choices and make a case um, for you know, which of the possible choices out there uh, you know, was the most cost effective. Um, the end result, uh, as reported on Grok Law and as uh, reported by the, one of the attorneys who who created Grok Law uh, in, a, in a speech that I heard was that um, Microsoft pulled some very underhanded, very dirty tricks because um, I can't remember uh, Chris's right-hand man's name, but basically caused him to get fired by releasing a bogus, uh, you know, bogus story about him doing something, you know, spending money he wasn't supposed to have spent. Um, clearly, Microsoft, with... You know, you know, whose value is roughly the same size as uh, the amount that Bernie Madoff swindled, um, has the resources to target um, anybody they choose to and, and pretty much bring them down. So when you said that the uh, president of Brazil decided that, um, you know, that, that Brazil from thenceforth was going to use free software, I'm wondering how she dodged the bullet. And um, what, one of the things I'm wondering is, was there, you know, what, what, was there sort of a national pride issue here? We're not going to be ruled by those, you know, people up, you know, people up north, or what, you know, how, how how did she manage not to get her entire administration brought down? Sure, um, and it's not just Brazil, right? Uh, other countries uh, who are a lot smaller than Brazil. Um, I mean, I, what you're saying is legitimate. That you know, you know, Microsoft certainly has has the power to uh, uh, create problems for 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 governments that that, that take a stance like this. Uh, Brazil is, you know, a huge, a huge country with a huge economy. I mean, much smaller uh, countries have gone the same route um, and, and face the same threat. You know, like Ecuador, um, Bolivia is doing it, um, Nicaragua, El Salvador, etc. Um, part of the, you know, part of the reason that um, that Latin America is going in this direction, I, I think, is that. Uh, 
it, it's part of the, 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 the generation that has come to power are, are the first progressive um, leaders uh, who are coming to power once democracy has been restored to, in countries in Latin America. So, you know, for 500 years there, there was colonialism and then there was imperialism and then there was just outright, uh, outright military dictatorships that were supported by the United States. Um, and those started to be overthrown in the 80s um, uh, and up into the 90s. And this, the movement that's happening in Latin America is, is broader than just technology, but technology is, is a part of it. And so there are issues of technological sovereignty um, in, 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 in choosing free software. Um, and uh, aside from that, just the, the, the values of free software uh, sort of sync up with the values of this generation uh, of people who are putting into power these pr- progressive leaders I mean, Lula's party is is the Workers' Party, uh, you know, which has traditionally been like a socialist, uh, what socialist parties call themselves. Um, Hugo Chavez has outright said that he's a socialist. Cuba is a communist country. Um, Ecuador uh, is all is 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 run by a, a president who's affiliated with socialist parties, et cetera. So. Um, so yes, I think the answer to your question is that it is an issue of technological sovereignty. That Latin America, as a as a continent, has said that we're not going to be America's United States backyard anymore, um, and that this is this is part of that. And um, you know the the huge, and, and again, I think this is something that's underreported in Western media or misreported, intentionally misreported, but um, there is a a really strong movement in Latin America right now, which is a reaction to decades of military dictatorships, death squads, disappearances, um, and the free software movement is just the technology arena's participation in, in that broader movement. Yeah, and one thing to note is in the U.S. Maybe we're maybe we're beginning right now because of what's happening in the economic climate to realize that corporate corruption is is a central part of what tends to move things around here. In other countries, people realize that longer ago than we did, if we didn't realize it yet. And so, and so, there's there's a likelihood they're going to be more quick to react to corporate corruption and and call out, call it out. I met a lot of people who had, who had got involved in software freedom advocacy from the OOXML uh, ODF wars because there were all these ISO meetings around the world where it was one of these situations like we're talking about. The people who showed up got to speak because hardly anybody showed up, as, as Jeremy pointed out in his talk. Of course, the decision had already been made, but when people showed up to speak about the problem, realized that the decision had already been made by some company buying people off, that got them angry enough to get involved in activism. So, so that's one thing to keep in mind about, about when Microsoft goes around and buys the ISO in every country to, to, to make, make OXML pass. Um, they're actually inspiring a generation of activists who are going to get excited. So it's not all bad when they do that because it backfires on them, and it will continue to backfire on them, I think. You know, do, do any of you see any lessons from this, uh, how this has played out in other regions of the world that are in any way applicable to uh, U.S. society? Yeah, I think that um, when you when you look at some of the other other areas of the world that have started to adopt free software as policies, you can see that they sort of follow this pattern. So, so uh, another country outside of Latin America that has been really um, moving towards free software is South Africa, um, and 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 again they sort of, they share a lot in common with Latin America in that. You know, an apartheid regime was propped up there by the United States and the United Kingdom for years and years, and so they have this sense of um, of, of wanting technological in, in independence from uh, Microsoft. Uh, in India, um, states that are controlled by more progressive parties have also started to shift to free software, um, and so I think the lesson that can be taken out of it is that. Uh, and, and, and RMS has spoken a lot about this, which I find interesting, and we, we, we write about it on our news site, which is that the, 
there are reasons uh, for adopting free software, like issues of sovereignty, um, that, that, that can be more appealing to people than just cost or uh, ideas of code freedom. Um, you, you can appeal to people uh, from a stance of uh, sovereignty and independence, um, which are feelings that run a lot deeper than just you know uh some of the things that uh people in in United States and the United Kingdom find important uh my question is for Brian um maybe you can speak to this we were talking about uh writing code and then adoption and I'm wondering if um there's a correlation to having hackers in different places and the adoption. So I don't know if we have lots, lots, lots more people writing code in Brazil now because the the government supports it. And then sort of a second piece of that is where do you think the the newer places that we're recruiting people to write new code are these days? Like what's on the horizon? So maybe that will be where we'll see more adoption. Is that a question for me? Yes. Uh, I, don't, I don't know anything about the really about the um, question of adoption. Um, as, uh, so, so I can't really comment on that. Um, I would say that uh, in terms of where we're getting contributors in the GNU project, um, what we're seeing is um, essentially a form of promotion where maybe people who are maintainer on a distribution like Debian, if the GNU maintainer retires, then they will step up and become a GNU maintainer. So I think that's where most of most GNU contributors are coming from these days. Yeah, I think I think one of one of the problems that I've seen uh, I've seen this uh, mostly in India. I've talked to some folks who have tried to do free software advocacy in India. Um, it's very difficult uh, to get, despite you know, at least in the of, of people who would actually be have the training to contribute to open source and free software. Sorry, I said open source, um, <laughs> but uh, uh, but th- those th- those folks are generally in their own communities internally, and even though they have internet access, they're not really getting in touch and collaborating with the upstream folks who are mostly Europeans and, and U.S. folks and U.S. Canadian folks mostly. Uh, so so I, it's a really big challenge for international activism of trying to get the code bases of free software coordinated uh, in a way that, that actually has people able to contribute upstream. Uh, a lot of the Brazilian so, uh, free software development that I've heard about, and it's actually I'm a couple years behind on this, so maybe you can correct me, but it's a lot of internal stuff that's getting built. Like I heard uh, a couple years ago about this like full replacement of Lotus Notes that they did in Portuguese uh, that's widely used throughout Brazil. It's, it's under GPL, uh, but it's never been translated in any language but Portuguese, and it's not used widely outside of Brazil. And, and and they're not really connected up with people doing the same kind of work, replacement work for for other for the same products in in the U.S. and Europe and so forth. So it's a real challenge. I don't have maybe you have some ideas of how we could start to bridge those gaps. Hey, yeah, um, I think that uh, so last year uh, for the first time, uh, Brazil organized a congress of um, Latin American countries uh, who were developing free software. And and you're right, there are a lot a lot of uh, new new pieces of software, or um, one that they really push is called Expresso, which is uh, something that's built on PHP Groupware that they use internally a lot. Um, and so the first step for them is that they wanted to get together um, uh, all the Latin American countries and start to coordinate on that level. Um, so applications that were written just in Portuguese, getting those translated to Spanish, and then and then go from there and and, and translate into into English. Um, so, so there are, there are efforts towards coordination, and I think those are just those will continue. Yeah, it seems like India is such an obvious choice because everybody who's educated in India speaks English, uh, so there's no language barrier with India. I'm sort of at a loss of how to to better integrate the Indian free software developers with uh, people in in the sort of traditional European and U.S. Uh, and North American free software space. It's uh, if anybody's eyes on that, bring them up because it's been quite a challenge, I think. One thing I'd say on the subject, which I'm going to be talking about tomorrow, is that I do think one of our problems is that we are very dependent on 
uh, email as a form of communication, and that's not really conducive to building personal relationships, which Agreed. is what you need to get people really committed mm-hmm. to working on projects. We're, we're waiting for people to bring you mics. That's why we're not calling anybody. There's a, somebody has a mic up there, yeah. so let's start there. Uh, I have a question for Ryan. Um, going back to the the freedom and the interoperability of other countries and other cultures. Um, South America is much like Scandinavia where they're more socialist oriented and they're open and integrated and willing to think out of the box. Um, And then you have countries like China that are more, you know, we're going to control everything in Saudi Arabia, that they're going to control everything that goes in and out of their, their walls. Um, What I see in the movements of South America politically, as well as information is, um, the imperialism, the colonialism, the paramilitarism, their key approach was to keep education and information out of the hands of the masses. So when I looked at Tiananmen Square, and that was only made possible because of the old fax machines, you couldn't, you could hide the data that you were faxing back and forth. Only the person that picked up the fax could see it and the person making it. Now faxing is all integrated. Everything's integrated online where anything can be looked at and extricated. And how do you see... Um, I, I just see that activism politically and free software activism almost has to go hand in hand. And it has to be started at a grassroots and educational level. And without that integration, um, it'll never take off even here. Yeah, I, I think there's validity. To, I mean, the, uh, you know, the, even the reason the, how I got involved with uh, working with Latin American free software developers was uh, up ten over a decade decade ago when, when opposition to FTAA free trade agreement ALCA was beginning, um, I started working on projects that were uh, that included Latin American developers because they were, they were building support software for people who were opposing um, those trade agreements. Um, uh, it, it certainly certainly in, in Latin America, the, the, the movement towards free software is goes hand in hand with this, this broader activism movement and, and um, you know, Brazil, uh, sort of the same forces that um, uh, are p- pushing towards free software are the same forces who created uh, the World Social Forum as as a as a as a ca- counter to um, uh, <laughs> whatever I forget whatever the <laughs> the, uh, the the annual meeting. <laughs> so uh, at any rate, um, what's that? Yeah, exactly, Davos. Um, yeah, so the World World Economic Forum. So, so, the, so the World Social Forum. I mean, the, uh, it's it's this group of people who um, are are really pushing for free software. Um, and you know, I I think that with within the within the North American and European free software world, there's there's always been uh, a controversial thing about tying it to politics. Um, and you have some, some folks who want to tie it to libertarian politics, which certainly don't mix with the kind of politics that Latin, Latin American uh, movement is talking about. Um, and then you have some people who, who argue that, you know, I guess these are more the open source people, but, but there's still a lot of people who say just keep politics out of it because um, that's not going to help us um, achieve adoption. Uh, I think in Latin America, um, and maybe this is another lesson from Latin America, is that if you want free software to be adopted by governments, uh, all the, the massive corporations on an entire continent, then maybe it does need to be tied to a, a broader activist movement that, that, that shares those values. Um, because um, in the United States and other places, we've been unsuccessful in, in doing it segregated from, from anything political, from a broader context. Yeah, it just seems to me that if you... If we trained a majority of the end users, the others have to follow. They have to turn back to them because their user base, their consumer base, is all oriented in one specific manner. And education is just the only way, like, through the through the school programs, I'm thinking. I don't know. Something you mentioned uh, gave me an idea that 
in a country like Brazil, where there are so many people that may be using free software, that there's a considerable amount of development work going on as well. The, uh, the spreadsheet program that you mentioned uh, probably could be a, a good asset if it were translated back and brought back here or to at least translated into English. Uh, I would think that FSF would have an interest in identifying those applications that are being developed elsewhere and bringing them back here, uh, perhaps even pay a little bit to do it. Just an idea. And, and you know, to, to, to go on with that, there, there's, there's even some re really important works. Uh, um, Cuba, uh, uh, part of the free software work that Cuba does um, is uh, reverse engineering device drivers for medical equipment because of the uh, embargo that they have against them. Some t Sometimes Europe has an, sometimes the EU has an embargo against them, but always the United States has an embargo. And a lot of the work that they've done has have been, you know, heart monitors or what have you. They reverse engineer the device drivers, uh, and and then th that's free software that that you know that they give away that they don't have any um, proprietary license on. I don't know if it's specifically GPL, but it would be if they if they knew you know if if they were prompted to to do that. So. I agree. There, there's a ton of software being produced in Latin America, um, especially important stuff like that, um, that should be integrated into the broader movement um, around, around the, you know, the U.S., U.K., European movement. Um, it's why I'm always, <laughs> always excited, always interested in talking as much as I can to whoever I can about what's going on in Latin America um, for, for, for all these reasons that we're talking about. This is actually part of a broader problem, uh, which basically free software ends up being a victim of its own success because there, there's so many free software sub-communities now uh, around particular code bases, around particular programming languages, around particular library sets uh, that don't interact that much. And uh, it's very difficult to get them interacting. I think the, the hacker meetings you're talking about is a good way to, to get developers who are working on basically orthogonal systems to, to meet each other. Uh, because I see a lot of folks who don't know about each other's libraries, don't know about each other's uh, software work, and it's it's basically still a word-of-mouth situation to get people hearing about other people's software projects. Uh, and we, we, we are, are facing that scaling challenge right now uh, as a community that, that I don't have any specific solutions for. I'm just pointing at the problem and, and talk to people who work in different languages and use and so forth. Yeah, and on your original point, I'm certainly aware of... Uh in Europe, there are Spanish app applications um, in things like uh, ERP, Enterprise Resource Planning, which, as far as I'm aware, they're really um, only available in Spanish, which could be translated and made generally available. Um, but I do think this, this comes down to a problem of, of communication. But when the GNU project started, it was a question of everybody... Essentially, the components were independent, and we could all work on them individually. But now we've, that phase is really over, and we're, we're into an integrative phase now, which really depends on having more communication between all these different uh, sub-communities. Um, uh, I don't know. The guy on the left? Right? The left? Brett? Bradley. Bradley. I know how to be in it. Um, you talked a bit about getting people involved in important projects and areas in free software. And one of the things that I found even with myself, even though I consider myself, I guess, uh, moderately technical, um, is that there's kind of people put off and don't know exactly what they could do for free software because they think that maybe the advocacy might be over their head or that they can't specifically code. How, how would you market or advertise to people to get involved that aren't necessarily as technical as others? Uh, it's, it's a hard question for me to answer because because uh, I am technical and it's it's hard to imagine you know what you know what what what, what folks go through who don't want to program. I, actually, it's funny because I I was primarily a programmer and I never really did much programming on free software. Going back to this philosophy of everybody seemed to want to write programs for free software, and I said, well, what's actually more urgently needed? Um, most people need uh, coordination help, uh, and there, there, is, there are always logistics related to projects that they need help with. 
Uh, and you can only really find out about them uh, if you want to, uh, if you want to, by by joining their mailing lists or, or listening to what they're complaining about. Uh, that's really the best way to do it. One of the first things I did, um, and I don't know if I want to own up to this, uh, for for free software projects is I ran the the uh, voting for naming the GNU Cache project, um, which was not. I wrote a little script to do it, but it didn't have to be technical. I could have just kept track of all the emails and counted up the votes. Um, I, I don't like to take credit for it because the name's not that great, but that's what won. Um, and everybody voted. Everybody in the community voted, and that's what they decided on. But, but that was not a technical job. Uh, and the reason I knew about that is because I, uh, the last proprietary program I used uh, on a regular basis was Quicken, and I was looking for a replacement. So I subscribed to the GNU. Well, that, then it was the X account mailing list, which they were looking for a new name. And I said, well, that's something easy I can do. I don't know anything about this code base, but I can run their, I can run their program to vote for a new name. Uh, and and there's there's little uh, administrative things uh, that every project needs that you can find if you ask the right people. I'm sure if you talk to people around here, they're working on some project that has an administrative need. Now, administrative work is is boring as hell, uh, but it, it, people are really appreciative of it, and it really needs to be done. Needs to be done. Uh, the, my work with the Software Freedom Conservancy, we're all about serving the administrative needs of projects. Now, I don't want to sit there and watch bank accounts. You know, I mean, I'm I'm actually trained as a programmer. I really am. Uh, but the thing is, there's nobody else who's willing to watch a bunch of bank accounts for projects, so I do it. And, you know, Jeremy calls me up and tells him when the Samba project needs to spend money on something, and I do it. Yeah, it's boring, but that way Jeremy can be off working on Samba, which is really important. So, so, so there's lots of little things like that. And, heck, if you want to do administrative work, I have a list of volunteer administrative projects you can do for Conservancy. See me later. <laughs> One area that I would uh, say in answer to that. One area that I would say where um, you less technical skill is needed, which is an incredibly important area, is documentation. Mm -hmm. Um, In terms of increasing adoption of free (coughs) software, basic tutorial information um, that, say, a moderately skilled user could easily write, explaining to somebody who doesn't know anything about a piece of software to get them up to speed. We are severely lacking in that area. And um, we've got the book sprint here at this meeting, as one example. But uh, if somebody has knowledge of how to use, so- use software, then, then writing a, a tutorial is a really good way to uh, help people oh, who and- know, know nothing. Yeah, one other thing I wanted to add, because you said you were somewhat technical. Um, one of the things I do now when I want to get involved with a new project is I start writing test coverage for it. And writing tests uh, is is some of some of the more easy to get your mind around programming uh, that you can do. So if you're a little bit of a programmer, uh, most free software programs don't have good test coverage because most of them were started before we started to realize you should write tests first and then write the code. You know, we're still all getting used to that idea. Uh, so going and finding what code's not covered with tests and writing tests is a great way to get involved if you want to do a little bit of programming but aren't really hardcore yet. Uh, and I even do that myself when I'm new to a project because it's an easy way to learn the code base. Uh, it's not. easy to do while you watch TV. I, I write tests a lot while I watch TV. <laughs> I'd add in that this is another place that we could learn, take a lesson from Latin America, which is that uh, one of the most impressive projects that go on there uh, are um, the opening of computer labs, uh, community computer labs. Uh, and so you can, and it's all based on free software and open source, and and, it, and it's a way to get people comfortable with using an open so, uh, free software uh, desktop, a free software user interface, free software programs like OpenOffice, um, and you can you can see that the majority of the work involved in setting up a community computer lab is is not. Uh, Technical, you know. Um, I mean, uh, there is, but I mean, you know, finding a space. Tutorials for it, so you can learn. Yeah, finding a space, getting it set up, um, doing, coordinating all that work is is all non-technical work. Um, So, and 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 it's another vehicle that's that's spread the use of free software in in Latin America. Oh yeah, just a comment about. Uh, for, I'm from Mexico and I'm I'm involved in the Mexican community. Hi Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, in the past, uh, with the past uh, president, the uh, all the presidential thing, the servers, the website, and all that that, that was based in open source, and there was a very strong uh, support for open source movement. And but with this new president, uh, it it all rolled back because this guy is. Um, 
so I'm kind of related with someone in Microsoft, and yeah. the problem we're facing now is that we're pushing ideas for the government to adopt uh, open source in their offices so uh, that expenses go lower. But uh, what, we, what we're uh, encountering is that Microsoft give bonuses to these guys that buy the software. So because we have um, bad salaries and all that, the corruption is, uh, is very easy for Microsoft to, to push all, the, all this software. And well, we're keeping this this battle, and we're still fighting that, and and hope uh, we in the next president or something we can change that. And unfortunately, this president gave Bill Gates a medal uh, a couple of months ago. Yeah, <laughs> and the other the other problem is that the the rioting after the election just didn't last long enough. Yeah, they didn't. Uh... <laughs> that's really the problem. Yeah, and and well, that, that's. That's just you should have thought. imported militants from Oaxaca. I think that, that would have been the answer. Yeah. yeah I mean, and this is, I think, one of the challenges of tying, tying these things to political parties. Uh, I, I mean, it's, it, it, sometimes you have to because you're riding a wave and you're getting something done, but, but you run into problems like this where a party's out of power and then you're stuck. I mean, it, it's, I, I like to think of free software activism as primarily to try to be as apolitical as possible. It's, it's one of these great ideas uh, that eventually every party is going to adopt. I mean, I mean, as you point out, libertarians say, well, you know, free software fits exactly with the libertarian philosophy. Communists say the same thing. Capitalists say the same thing. And so, and so we're, we're one of these things that's such a good idea that we can make it, we, you can pitch it to fit any political ideology. Uh, and so I just try to focus on you know, rights and freedoms of computer users and try not to get too political as far as political parties go because you never know when a particular party is going to go out of power. Yeah, I'm going to, um, well, to follow up on that, I guess, um, I think it hasn't been politicized enough in some ways. I mean, we can see these sort of intricate linkages between socialism and free software. And, you know, the I'm wearing this thing that calls me an activist or whatever. And then, like, the largest U.S. gathering of activists, the Free Software Foundation wasn't there at the U.S. Social Forum. And I think that actually linking and, like, trying to talk to activists, political activists about free software, they're like, you know, fuck you. I'm, you know, I'm happy with my Facebook and being able to connect with these people really quickly, and I don't care about free software. So, I mean, actually enhancing the political message could be really important. Uh, we've been thinking kind of along those lines with, at the FSF. I don't know if you saw something that we published uh, a year and a half or so ago, free software, freesociety.org, which was a statement that we got a number of other non-technical activist groups to sign on to, um, using the occasion of opposing Vista, but also just promoting the importance of free software, uh, avoiding having filters on your proprietary filters on your free speech and your activism is important for any kind of group. So, I mean, at least we totally agree, and we're trying to move in that direction in terms of getting non-technical organizations that have any kind of political agenda. It doesn't matter what it is. Everybody has the common interest of needing to have unfiltered communication with whoever their supporters are uh, and, you know, networking capabilities and all that sort of thing. I have a, I have a, a people who show up uh, answer to, to your question somewhat. Um, nonprofits, uh, generally speaking, 501c3 nonprofits in the U.S., are the most free software unfriendly of all organizations. They're even more free software unfriendly uh, than, than for-profit corporations because for-profit corporations basically make decisions based on bottom lines, and it's easy to show with the open source arguments why their bottom line is better. Uh, but the other thing that's true about nonprofits is that they're very technical, technologically unsavvy. I mean, I'm talking about nonprofits outside of our space. Uh, so, um, uh, so, so, uh, so, if, if if you have another cause that you're excited about, you know, be environmentalism, whatever it is, uh, find the nonprofits in your area that are doing work in that regard and go volunteer for them specifically on technology issues giving them free software solutions uh, because they probably really need the help technologically. And if you're saying, I'm willing to volunteer, but I'm only going to do free software, they'll probably say, okay, as long as it works and, and, and just make it work. Uh, and, and that's a great way to cross over that space between other activists because they, they, you know, they get these near zero cost licenses from Microsoft and they're just happy to keep taking it. And the biggest technology uh, sort of forum uh, for nonprofits in the U.S. called N10 is basically owned by Microsoft. So, so, the, so there's, it's, really, it's really hard to get the message across to them, but volunteering always gets 
their attention. So it's one way to help bridge that gap, I think. And I would add just really quick that uh, the, the the movements that, that were connected to Latin America, I mean, how I got involved with um, uh, Latin American free software programmers um, revolved around organizations like Indie Media um, uh, and 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 the, the technical groups within there are e extremely committed to free software and open source, um, whereas may maybe the free software advocates aren't present at the activist things, the tech activists within the movements are 100% about free software. So. We have time for just one more question. Uh, I just wanted to ask if you really did believe the last point you made, Bradley, about the... Uh, every, it's such a good idea. Everyone can agree with it. Like the, the libertarians agree with the free software is a good idea. Capitalists agree it's a good idea. Is that really true, though, about free software? Because uh, Jeremy was making the point earlier that they, they really like BSD licensing. They, they like the idea of open source things that they can raid, but, they, but GPL software capitalists don't like is that or am i wrong is oh i don't i don't think that's true i, I think that the a lot of the uh, a lot of the capitalist type people i mean ibm's a great example really prefer the gpl uh because it keeps their competitors from being able to they, it basically creates the space they feel safe in because with bsd stuff they can get undercut by their competitor and their competitor can take their technology and build on it and not get back but gpl creates this common space that they can trust so, so I, I think, uh, I mean, you may be right about the libertarians. I mean, if, if Eric Raymond is the representative of the libertarians, I don't know. What's it? Yes. You've got two members of the Libertarian Party of Massachusetts State Committee sitting in the audience right now. Okay, so there you go. Talk to them if you want to hear a libertarian support free software versus open source. But I think, I think the freedom arguments uh, work well. I mean, the, the free software arguments work well with pretty much people from every part of the political sphere that I've talked to. I haven't found a, a political philosophy that, that I can't find a way to craft the software freedom, software freedom argument to them that makes sense, uh, not, not just the open source argument. And people who basically don't – U.S. people are responsive to the open source thing because, uh, like I said in my opening statement, people in the U.S. are incredibly apathetic, and that's something we have to learn how to change as a culture. And I have no idea because I'm, I'm not a sociologist to understand how to make U.S. people unapathetic. But if you find somebody who is truly unapathetic and has some sort of passion about some philosophy, I think generally you can find a way to make – it's like, it's like anti-slavery, right? I mean, the anti-slavery arguments you can make in every spectrum because – it's right to be against slavery. Free software, I think, is actually the same way. We have just one note here, and then we have to... Okay, sure. Yep. But everyone is still here, so you can pass them at the break. So I have a question for, for everyone um, about the range of, of laws in various countries and, and any changes in them which is uh, making it easier or more difficult for the adoption of free software vis-a-vis uh, -vis the issue of uh, government procurement, uh, especially such that uh, it's very difficult here in the U.S. to even get something that says, well, uh, government ought to evaluate on equal terms the open source uh, software uh, uh, as opposed to uh, the opposing position, say, in France, where... Uh, I'm given to understand that uh, government procurement laws favor uh, open source uh, uh, solutions for economic benefit. And there's some sort of EU directive about that. I'm especially interested in what extent other European countries have taken the EU directive that isn't written very strongly and tried to do something with that. Well, I'm, I'm not really familiar with the details, but it's certainly a general trend in Europe. Um, in the UK, we're coming up towards an election, and all of the three main parties are talking about, well, open source, but they're saying um, that they're in favor of it, and that's all of them, so uh, that's an encouraging sign. Um, whether that will actually um, translate into anything in the long run, it's really difficult to say because there have been a lot of announcements which don't really come to anything. Um, but certainly the trend is in, is in that direction. 
I just wanted to add real quick before we have to end. Uh, um, I have proposed uh, something for tomorrow that goes deeper into all the different stuff that's happening in Latin America because you could go on and on about it forever, and there are a lot of really interesting things that have happened. So I'm not exactly sure how tomorrow is working, um, but uh, I've at least proposed it. So uh, <laughs> if you're interested further, uh, Go to it if it happens. <laughs> and my closing statement is that Evan is an excellent example of somebody who saw a problem, showed up, and started working on it. So I'm going to stop talking and let him talk. Thank you for listening to Hacker Public Radio. HPR is sponsored by caro.net, so head on over to caro.net for all your hosting needs.